This is episode 74. Let's begin. Smarter Parenting welcomes you to our podcast series, The Parenting Coach for ADHD. Here to heal and elevate lives is your parenting coach, Siope Kinikini. Hello, everyone. How's everyone doing? I hope you're doing great. Today, during the podcast, we are talking to Dr. Samuel Gray and Dr. Donald Crowan, both of whom work for the Methodist Home for Children, which is located in North Carolina. Dr. Gray and Dr. Crowan are both psychologists, and they're actually shaking things up in the world of assessments. When your child is brought to a professional for a diagnosis, they often receive the diagnoses from the therapist or from the physician. The work that Dr. Gray and Dr. Cruen are doing is actually enhancing the way that we look at diagnoses and being sure that we cover all the bases so treatment is appropriate for our children. It's actually innovative stuff. So you listen to it because it's fantastic. And near the end of this episode, you're going to hear us talk about how they implement the teaching family model. Now, during the discussion, Dr. Crohn uh, refers to it as the teaching model because it is a teaching model. But when he's mentioning that, just keep in mind that we're talking about the teaching family model. I'm hoping that the work that they are doing will be the foundation of work that will continue throughout the nation in other agencies and in other places because currently it's not done this way. When your child goes into a physician or goes into a mental health counselor for a diagnosis, it's usually up to that one individual to make a diagnosis and then it builds from there. So the work that they're doing is fantastic. I think it's super helpful. And I know it will be super helpful for a lot of you parents out there who are wondering about diagnoses, whether or not ADHD is the appropriate diagnosis, and what other options are available to you in being sure that your child is receiving great treatment. So Dr. Gray and Dr. Crowen. Yeah, we're both psychologists working uh, for Methodist Home for Children. Uh, I oversee our uh, assessment centers. And Dr. Crowen? I'm uh, Dr. Don Crowen. I am the Director of Clinical Strategies and Outcomes. So I develop the programs and analysis for the entire agency, including the assessment centers. Okay. Uh, What's fascinating is they presented during this conference about the importance of assessments. And so um, we have talked previously about ADHD and the misdiagnosis of ADHD. I just want you to share a little bit about what you presented because I think this will be super helpful for the parents who are listening. Yeah, um, and I can start basically uh, just by saying that that what our presentation has covered has been the importance of using good evidence-based measures for assessment of all mental disorders, but certainly more specifically to your uh, question for ADHD purposes. And I think it's also important to remember that although the diagnosis of ADHD is so prevalent, the research shows that it should only be between 6 and 10% of the population. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing in some cities, we're looking at 60% or more youth diagnosed. Right. So, so in some ways, ADHD has become the go-to phrase to politically uh, justify what the youth is doing. Yeah. When really we need to talk about self-discipline, self-management, and the skills necessary to become an adult. And not immediately pathologize a kid for just being a normal child who needs to learn how to manage his behavior. Right. What I find interesting about the work that you guys are doing is the whole gamut of doing the assessment, the whole process. So can you explain how you guys are working with the youth in your area? 
Right. So we have uh, youth who are referred to us through the juvenile justice system in North Carolina, and so our, our task is to do evaluations on them so that we can understand kind of who they are and what kinds of issues they're having and to make the proper recommendations to hopefully prevent them from going further into the juvenile justice system mm -hmm. and hopefully prevent them from, from becoming adult criminals. Right. Uh, and so uh, Dr. Crowen has developed a fantastic system of, of assessment which uh, which we utilize to really evaluate these youth uh, from an objective and evidence-based standpoint to understand what's going on with them. Okay. And so what does it look like? Let's say that the court refers a youth to you that has some behavioral issues. What do you do at that point? Well, the first phase, when they come in, there's a two-phase setup. The first phase is for them to get psychosocial, personality, educational, and IQ testing. And we were very careful in the development of these tests, or I should say in the selection of these tests, to make sure that none of them assume pathology. Okay. So it's a strength-based approach. We want to learn who the youth is before we treat or diagnose the youth as having any problems. Only if one of those tests or more of those tests indicate there is a potential problem that we then go into a second phase to diagnose that problem. Okay. So we set a system up so that we, in our own biases, will be countered by the testing. So yeah. we won't be too quick to diagnose that which doesn't need to be diagnosed or label a kid who doesn't deserve or need a label. So this is super important for parents to understand. A lot of times they'll bring a kid into or their child into a therapist. They'll report what's going on. Then the therapist will give the diagnoses. Now, a lot of times therapists are have proclivities towards certain diagnoses, mm -hmm. and sometimes the diagnosis is incorrect based on the biases of the therapist. So your approach is to let's test them, let's not even put diagnoses on the table, and let the test dictate how we're going to provide services. Exactly. Instead of us labeling the youth to figure out what to do, yeah. we use the testing to inform us where we need to go. Yeah, okay. So we put our egos at the door. We use standardized measures and good structured instruments to determine things. And I think Dr. Ray will tell you about how uh, what really happens with regards to the number of diagnoses of youth coming in versus yeah. what we see. Yeah, uh, and I'll give you a specific example. Uh, we had a young man who came in and he was 14 years old at the time, carried a diagnosis of ADHD and came into our center and he was certainly fidgety and, and had some issues sitting still. But we did our testing with him and we measured uh, what was going on with him. And interestingly, what we found in our testing was that his attention and focus and measures of attention and focus showed he was able to pay attention and focus as well as most kids his age. Hmm. Um, and so the testing was really pointing against and in the other direction of ADHD, against ADHD. But what we found with him was measures of anxiety were quite high. And so frequently what I have seen in cases with youth are that uh, sometimes anxiety can be mistaken for ADHD. And so uh, in his case, what had happened was this is a youth who had anxiety and was placed on a stimulant medication. Mm. When stimulant medication given to somebody who's already anxious can cause all kinds of behavioral reactions. Right. And in his case, it did. And so what, what we saw was that after he had been put on the stimulant medications, uh, his behavior problems actually increased and he became more aggressive. But what we were able to do through the testing was to identify that, no, he did not have ADHD, but what he did have was high levels of anxiety, which were not responding well to a stimulant medication. Now, um, that's fascinating because, again, misdiagnoses leads to medication, and the medication is not appropriate for or really... Or his treatment. Or his yeah. treatment. Right, because some therapeutic techniques can actually be harmful to a child. Yeah. Now, um, this actually, to the parents who are listening, is very novel because this is not the way it's done. You guys are kind of shaking the boat in the way to approach this, although it seems very logical, like this should have been done 
years and years ago. To be, on, to be honest with you, um, this was kind of my passion project. Okay. For years I've worked in this field and I've never been able to do it the right way. Yeah. And I finally found a place that said they'd let me do it right. Okay. And so that's that's why I'm here, because it sure isn't for the amount of money I'm getting paid. Right, right. But I really, I, I have confidence that uh, we collaborate constantly. We use these tests with a great deal of fidelity. And I am confident that we make a big difference in these people's lives every day. And, and we're not just doing it and it looks good. We're seeing the results. We're doing outcome measurement to show that these kids, like the like you could share what happened with that youth later, mm-hmm. these kids really benefit from our very short but uh, informed intervention. So tell me, how long is the intervention that you guys provide? Test, uh, the first tier or phase of testing is about one week. Okay. We usually do a test per day, and then the second one depends on whether they need it. It depends on the number of tests they need. It could be anywhere between one and four. Okay. So we could be done with testing within two to three weeks, okay. and during that whole time we're also gathering information from trained observers who mm-hmm. are giving us behavioral observations. Oh. Documenting their behavior on a exactly. daily, hourly basis. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're not just using just tests. Right. You're using observations from somebody else who can give you the information, unbiased. No offense to parents, but sometimes we're biased in our approach to our own children. And right. so we'll report sometimes things that may not be completely accurate. And I think it's reasonable for parents to ask the question, uh, what type of testing have you done uh, on my youth to come up with this diagnosis? Because there are a lot of folks out here who are using the good testing and doing it properly. And that's not to say we don't see uh, children who have ADHD, because we certainly have, but that's confirmed yeah. in our testing. And so then we know maybe they are already on the right track. But it is important to ask those questions because uh, there's certainly there are a lot of cases of youth who come in who have not had that objective testing who are carrying that diagnosis or carrying those medications and sometimes parents just don't know that they need to ask those questions that will you know we need some objective testing before we uh, before we diagnose this and confirm this okay and, and I think it's also important for parents to uh, be careful about the power of a label yeah we get the perception that if we can put a name to something we have power over it mm-hmm. sometimes uh, the getting a label so that we feel like we have a handle on it is less important yeah. than getting the right information mm-hmm but uh, we're in a society where getting that label, getting that term, is what someone's expected to get as soon as they come into the center. Right. We take the time to get the right information, mm-hmm. and we encourage anybody else to do the same thing. And I would say, too, that you know one of the interesting things that we found in measuring is that a lot of the youth who have come into our centers with diagnoses of ADHD, mm-hmm. uh, when they get into our centers and, and we're providing the teaching families model, uh, they respond incredibly well to that. And so what we see very frequently with, with these youth is, is an immediate reduction in distress, immediate reduction in behavioral issues, and things that may have been mistaken for and diagnosed really just needed that proper kind of structure, discipline, organization, and a model of care to help them get in line. And so we see a lot of those kids respond well to it. So I would certainly encourage parents to try those things certainly before uh, going down that road of looking at medication. Yeah, you know, um, that has been the recommendation from other medical professionals too, is that first you seek a behavioral, you try and work it out, and then medication comes after you've done that if you feel like you need to continue to do that. So that's fantastic. Tell me about the teaching family model and the way that you guys implement it. Like you you mentioned that it's effective. Mm -hmm. Tell me how it works in your group or with the population that you work with. Well, the teaching model is is uh, a behavioral model. Mm-hmm. So it's founded on over 100 years of very well-supported research. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that Dr. Gray was talking about, which is 100% right, is that uh, parents are looking for 
a solution and the medication will come first, but the, the teaching model actually sets a structure for people who don't need either medication or even need to be pathologized. They don't need to label at all. And a lot of times what happens is that it's very hard to turn to a parent and say your kid needs more self-discipline or you need, your kid needs to learn how to discipline and manage their behavior better because that's politically not something a parent wants to hear. Right. So a teacher or some other type of social worker or someone who's looking for a solution will say, well, go to the diagnosis because it seems to be kind of a safe way of approaching the topic. And absolving parents sometimes, yeah, yeah, you know, of their responsibility. So what the teaching model does is sets up a structure so that this youth who's used to responding in a more impulsive way now has guidelines with regard to their structure, their discipline, the mm-hmm. way they interact with other people, learning how to wait before they speak, learning how to think before they act. And that sets up guidelines where they have an ability and a structure internally that will guide their behavior. And that's really what we're talking with ADHD is does the person have the specific damage to the brain or the specific undeveloped portion of the brain that does not allow them to have it? Or is this a situation where they've never been taught it? Mm-hmm. If you had a youth that's never been taught to read, you wouldn't presume a learning disorder. Right. You would say you need to teach them how to read. Mm-hmm. If you have someone who's never been taught impulse control or who has had a lot of distractions in their life regarding different types of entertainment so that the impulse control wasn't that important, you don't presume they have a deficiency. Right. Maybe they just need to learn the skill. And that's what the teaching model does. It teaches skills. So those skills are super important. You implement those. You teach them to the child, also to the parent, so they're both aware and they know how to set up the structure in their own homes. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's, in fact, that's a unique thing about the teaching model, is that it isn't focused purely upon the youth, which is what almost all of our approaches are in society. The teaching model literally sets up a system so that the parents are instructed how to actually intervene with the youth in a more effective way. So it's comprehensive. Mm -hmm. It does take care of the youth that you have concerns about, but it also teaches the parent how to more effectively deal with the youth and brings down a lot of the pressure and a lot of the conflict. Fantastic. Um, I'm curious, so if you're talking to a parent and you have to give them advice on what they should be doing, you had mentioned that they should ask what testing has been done. Mm -hmm. Are there any other gems that you think they should be asking before going down the medication route? Ask about the practitioner's uh, licensure and their area of expertise. If If someone doesn't have a strong psychological background, you should be worried about their presumptions about psychology. Right. It's the same thing as if you took a, a ch- uh, took a child because he's having some type of rash. You would want him to go to someone with a medical background, right. not someone with just a really good idea or who's so enthusiastic. And I think also ask about the uh, theoretical orientation of the individual that you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Even a psychologist or a psychiatrist or, or another high-level doctor should be able to explain how they methodically work with your youth mm-hmm. and justify the steps they take. If you hear someone get defensive about that, that's not the right practitioner. Right. A practitioner needs to be confident and open. That's great. I actually make that suggestion as well to parents that they need to be comfortable with who they're working with. And a lot of times you tend to just pick up whoever somebody recommends, but that may not be a good fit. So you got to find and you got to you got to be sure. It's like buying a car. That's usually what I tell them. <laughs> yeah. you, if you want a good car, you got it you have to go the rounds and you have to take your time to be very selective on what you need and what you want. 
So, and I'd be very careful about using any kinds of uh, tools and things that are offered or sold, certainly on the internet and things like that, because uh, what we have seen is that people overreact to those kinds of things quite mm -hmm. readily. And so, again, they, they may use that confirmatory bias and uh, mm -hmm. start finding problems that maybe they just think are there, and this is just what they're looking for. So they answer questions in a way that confirms in their mind something, but the tool that they're using off the internet really has no evidence base and no validity or reliability behind yeah. it. I love this idea of being able to test and find the evidence that you need. And again, there's a there's a podcast we cover on confirmation bias. If you haven't listened to it, go listen to it because Absolutely. a lot of times suggestions can come up and we confirm that it's true when in fact it may not be true. So definitely be very, very cautious and careful. And be aware that uh, snake oil has been around for a very long time. <laughs> it's a very productive business, yeah. let me tell you. It you is, know, I mean, and, and, it, and, it's, and it's something that whether you're a parent or a practitioner, you've taken on the responsibility for someone else's life. Yes, yeah. So when you do, you need to avoid following the, the trend yeah. or the theme or the fad. Right. And focus upon what does the science tell us? Yeah. Because science has been around for a long time and science is not set up to be believed but challenged. So anybody who's practicing the science should be comfortable being challenged. And anybody who's engaging in the science needs to justify what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So like you said, I mean, the car analogy is a good one. Test drive your practitioner. Yeah. Check them out and make sure that they're able to answer all your questions. And if they're not comfortable doing it, probably because they're not comfortable with what their, uh, their knowledge base. That's great. Is there any other uh, gems of wisdom that you want to provide to parents who are struggling with children with ADHD? That's really a general question, I know, but I'm just kind of no, curious. No, no, it's, it's, it's <laughs> a fair question. I think, I think one thing is always look to see what your child can learn before you get a label on them. Yeah. We're not in a society that really supports self-discipline. Yeah. It's actually, in, in a lot of ways, in many circles, been seen as a uh, kind of a negative term. We don't talk about discipline in a positive way. But I think it's very hard for a young person growing up today to think of managing themselves because there's so many messages that you're the result of what somebody did to you. Yeah. Or you're the result of how somebody offended you. Mm -hmm. or you're the result of what somebody did to affect you. And ADHD, like so many other things that we see with these kids, is that they're not the result of what has been done to them. These kids can have the resiliency to manage themselves in a very effective way. They just need, might need some guidance. But I'll tell you what, it's hard to be a parent today. Yeah. There's that, not a whole lot of support. Yeah, and I would just add to that that you know one of the findings that we've we've found pretty consistently in our assessment centers with the youth that we're working with is that they don't seem to have enough structured pro-social physical activities in their life mm -hmm. and so whether a child has ADHD or not but certainly with ADHD it's very important to keep them involved in those kinds of things because a lot of the lessons that they learn in those settings uh, can help them develop those skills that they need to manage some of those symptoms and so if you've got a child who's exhibiting a lot of sort of hyperactivity Get them engaged in activities, get them involved in more structured things, and frequently what you may find is it may be more of a develop, developmental issue and a child just needs to learn those skills and they have opportunities to learn those skills if they're in those types of activities. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a very good point you bring up, which I think we as practitioners fail to acknowledge. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we need to not jump on the bandwagon and figure out what's wrong with the kid. Yeah. Sometimes you just need time to develop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Childhood is awkward. And children are learning about the universe for the first time. And sometimes they do it in a clunky, awkward manner, which we all did. But I think we look back at our lives and think it was some streamlined three-act play. Right. It wasn't. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't. So, no. you know, sometimes a kid needs time to make mistakes and needs time to stumble. But that's what we're there for. We're there to help pick them up again. Yeah. Not label them because they fell. 
you know, um, I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts, and this may be a little off topic, but the role of technology now, because it, it is very different. I mean, I grew up at a time, I had to listen for my mom yelling from the porch for me to come home. That's the way it worked. With the growth of technology, do you see more problems happening, or do you feel like that is a contributor to some of these issues that we're seeing? I think it's certainly a, a factor, uh, because what we have is, is children's, who's, uh, children's attentions who are frequently pulled away. Moments notice, and these, uh, the cell phones and other kinds of devices that call for their attention on a regular basis and pull them away from what's happening in the real world. And so they do develop, I, I've seen them develop sort of habits of inattention right. and that type of thing, which can very much be traced to, um, to technology at times. And so I think it's certainly a factor. But I just want to add to that. I agree with everything you said. I just want to add to it that uh, we can't abrogate our own responsibility mm -hmm. because a child can't use technology that we don't let them use. That's true. And a child can't become immersed in bad habits that we don't allow to develop. So whether we be parents that need to monitor our youth or whether we need teachers who need to be not letting the technology take over the classroom, anybody in the environment who's dealing with children, we can't blame the technology because even though it can contribute, we ultimately have the responsibility of shaping the environment so I think we ultimately have to be careful we don't blame something when we have responsibilities. We have responsibilities over those things. You had mentioned something about training our inattentiveness with the, with the devices. That's a, that's a real thing, right? I mean, Absolutely. people can train themselves to be inattentive. And so they can obviously train themselves not to be inattentive. Is that a fair statement, would you say? Well, it's been proven in research. Okay. There's been a series of studies just in the last uh, two to three years that have shown not only do you show uh, less attentiveness with the increase of technological use. Hang on, I just got a text. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, we got to stop everything. Yeah. It's a little um, but, but also mood disorders. Uh, yeah, we found okay. that individuals, young people, the more they use technology, the more they use social media, the more we're finding difficulties with depression yeah. and social isolation. Yeah. And so, again, it's, it's not the technology that's the issue, just like it's not the drug that's the issue, it's not the weapon that's the issue, it's what we do with these things mm -hmm. and whether we allow ourselves to externalize responsibility right. on an object as opposed to take the responsibility on how to manage all of these things. Right. Someone doesn't get really, really overweight by looking at food. No. <laughs> Don't remind me. Anyway. <laughs> I know there are practitioners listening as well to this podcast because we always get questions from them as well. The biggest question on their mind is how in the world do you pay for all those assessments? So what is the cost of doing all those assessments? It's expensive. It is expensive. It's expensive. expensive. Okay. Uh, but, and I think it needs to be noted that it's not only expensive in the tests themselves yeah. and then the scoring programs if you choose to use them. Some of the tests actually require scoring programs. They've been written up where it's almost possible to do it by hand now. Mm -hmm. uh, but really it's the expertise. And yeah. I think, I think the this again comes to an issue of priority. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's uh, one, I run into this issue all the time where people are saying we can't afford this, we can't afford that. Well, then don't take on the job of treating kids. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't, if you don't want to take on the expense and the obligation to do it well, we would not tolerate a hospital that does not have pain medication when a when a used arm is getting set. Mm -hmm. We would not tolerate a hospital that does not have blood pressure cups and thermometers when they walk in and do the proper testing right. to set the stage of what care they need. Right. But we are very quick to tolerate social service environments that don't do triage type testing right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And I think, that's, I think it's a social challenge and we as practitioners 
sometimes get caught up in all these other different types of debates or social issues, and we really need to be arguing for the expertise and the proper tools to treat people properly. Right. It's an obligation. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, you know, insurance companies haven't made it easier for us because I think what they've done is sort of tried to dumb down the, the process of diagnosis because they don't want to pay for those kinds of things. And so frequently with families that, that, that want to get those types of testing and evaluation done, what they're finding is insurance companies are denying that or then they then they send them to the to the social worker or the family practitioner or somebody else who provides the diagnosis that doesn't do the testing. Um, and again, that, that helps the insurance company because they haven't had to pay for that type of stuff. But again, I think as Dr. Cohen uh, indicated is that we do have to advocate mm -hmm. uh, for the importance of using these kinds of measures and being, and especially when we're working with children, we really have to use objective testing and be uh, careful about the process by which we're going about diagnosing them. Yeah. And that, that's where we get politically involved. Yeah, this is, it's, it really is almost a political thing. You know, it's funny that when you go in to be assessed by a physician in a hospital, the first thing they do is they run a battery of tests. Right. That is kind of the, that's the format. Go get some blood tests, we need a urine sample, we need a stool sample, and then they make their decisions. In mental health, it's, it's different. Mm -hmm. And so you guys are actually pushing it into that that kind of mindset of let's do the testing first and then let's determine where we're going to go. Practice. Yeah, it is responsible practice. It's it's one of the things mental health has been missing, obviously, in this country um, because we just tend to rely on whoever we visit to give us what we need, which isn't always reliable. So. Which goes back to what you said about the car analogy. Yeah, yeah. We need yeah. to vet the practitioners. We need to find out what their procedures are. We need to determine whether or not they're competent, capable, right. and invested in doing it the right way as opposed to the easy way. Right. And this, this is where we need to, as members of the society, say if the system isn't working, we need to challenge the system to change for us, yeah. not change for the system. Because we're not going to create a healthy generation by treating them with unhealthy means. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, one of the things I do want to say with the parents is it, it does come down to price and practitioners, like how much does this cost? It is expensive. However, when your child is in the hospital and they need cancer treatments, that's expensive and yet we're willing to do whatever it takes to pay for that. And so it's kind of an interesting dynamic when we think about what we're willing to do and what we can do. Well, you've got a good point and I'd, I'd like to augment your point by pointing out that if you had uh, a physical disease that you didn't treat, it's only going to get worse. Yeah. It's the same thing psychological. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, the amount of time and money you're going to spend in therapy, the amount of time and money you're going to spend in legal fees if your youth gets caught in the juvenile justice system. Hospitalizations. Hospitalization. Hospitalization. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. So it's, you know, again, it, it comes down to any good health practice. Right. Find out what's going on, use good methodology to determine it, and then use the right types of techniques to treat it. Right. Otherwise, uh, what's, the old, uh, what's the old phrase, if you don't mind me exploiting a, a phrase that uh, Benjamin Franklin said, you know, uh, have you um, diagnosed in haste, you'll reprint more expensively at leisure. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. You know, it's, uh, he also said, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I mean, if you're willing to pay up front, then and you're... Uh, testing is worth a lifetime yes, of misdiagnosis. Exactly. And a lifetime of constant visits to psychiatrists or therapists or whatever else. So it's worth it to do that up front. I am a strong advocate of what you guys are doing. Mm -hmm. And I hope it spreads like wildfire. I really hope 
it becomes adopted in all the agencies that deal with children. And we're not proud, so feel free to yeah. call on us. Uh, you know, we, we, we accept Certainly uh, not. all major credit cards yeah. and yeah, PayPal. Yeah. But no, we, we really want to get this message out, not because we think we're unique. Yeah. We think that this has been good practice for the last hundred years. Mm -hmm. It's just been not attended to because yeah. it's become politically inadvisable for people in our profession. Right. And the consequences to children at this point have become too great to yeah. ignore this, you know. Wow. But the consequences to our children, we've reached a point, and it is a tipping point now because of the way the world is, that we have to make a change in the way that we're dealing with issues. I mean, we really do have to change the way we're doing it. So, fantastic. I think that's it for me. Do you guys have anything else you want to share? Just that you said the way the world is. I just want everybody to remember the way the world is the way we've made it. Yeah. We've chosen to create this environment we can choose to change it. Yeah. There's a lot of power in that too. But just know that there are people on the front lines fighting for your kids to be happy and healthy and they're looking to change the system and it needs changing. So uh, feel free to leave a five-star rating and also subscribe. Share this podcast with family members and friends that you feel would benefit from it. And also you can find a transcript of this on the Smarter Parenting website. That's it from us from here in Cincinnati, and I will see you later.